I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi, everyone. We have another wonderful guest that was referred to us by Ryan McCormick. He does one of the shows on our network, which we absolutely love and handles our PR. Her name is Julie Ryan, and she is a psychic and medical intuitive. Julie, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So, before doing this, and I love uh, some of the language in your in your bio about you learned how to do woo-woo more than 20 years ago. <laughs> That's so funny. But, um, but you actually, before that, you were inventing surgical devices and you founded nine companies that were, you know, medical, natural gas and advertising industries. So how why did you start there and how did you make the leap from there into what you do now well i'm a as you mentioned i'm an inventor and obviously a serial entrepreneur over the years people have said well how how are inventing medical devices and the natural gas industry related and i'll say they're not i just took money from one and if i was <laughs> interested in something and it looked like there was an opportunity there i would I would utilize that to start a separate company. Most of them were running simultaneously. So I, I don't I don't know, Kristen. Sometimes people think it's a DNA thing and then others <laughs> believe that it's a it's a you know, nature versus nurture, that it it happens when you grow up in an entrepreneurial home. I certainly right. did not grow up in an entrepreneurial home, but had a grandfather who was a pharmacist that had his own pharmacies. So I think that that probably would constitute an entrepreneur there within the yeah. confines of traditional. I didn't grow up in an entrepreneur home. In fact, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking now through my family very quickly. I don't know anyone on either side of my family. And we're going back to grandmas and all that were entrepreneurs. <laughs> I know. Well, most of my people were, none of my people were either which is funny. So actually, I think Forbes did a, uh, an article about this several years ago. And Ralph Lauren, the designer, his daughter, Dylan, who has Dylan's candy bar all over the country. It started mm. in Manhattan. 
spread. She was on a cover. And I want to say one of the Pittsburgh schools, perhaps Carnegie Mellon, one of the, the college universities in Pittsburgh did a study and they found that there is a gene that really? entrepreneurs have that make them more, um, more willing to take risks because most people are very risk averse. And yes. obviously as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to live with risk. Yeah, it must be a gene because I mean, I, to me, it doesn't, it's like I couldn't not be this way when I was a little kid and, you know, you, you set up store and you play that, you know, you pretend that you're, you know, running a store or whatever. I was always like the owner of the store and people would say, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd say, I want to own my own company. Well, what do you want your company to do? I don't know. I just going to have my own company. <laughs> uh -huh. so. I was the same way. I was the same way, but started in traditional, um, working for a traditional big, huge company right out of college and then started my first company at 25, actually. So I, I think I agree with you with that. Yeah, I think, I was, I, think so, I was 27, so not much further from you, but right, anyway. Right. So to, answer your, to answer your question, I've always been interested in medical things from the supply side of the equation and been in throughout my career many different types of medical procedures, surgeries and emergency room procedures and the whole the whole gambit of medical procedures. And one year a friend of mine gave me a book about a medical intuitive. And I thought, what the heck is that? I'd never heard of a medical intuitive. And I read it and I was interested. And then back then we didn't have the, the internet wasn't what it is today, and we certainly didn't have Amazon yet. Right. So I wanted to learn more, and I thought, well, I'll go to the library and I'll go to the bookstore and see if they've got anything. And I ended up at a bookstore first, did it the old-fashioned way, and went to a bookstore to see what they had. <laughs> and there was a there was a book uh, written by a former NASA physicist about about energy fields and medical intuitive and utilizing those energy fields to help facilitate healing and diagnose medical conditions. Interesting. And I thought, I thought, wow, I need to check this out. So I read the book and she, uh, her name's Barbara Brennan. She was a former NASA physicist who really translated complex quantum physics theories into non-scientific language. So somebody like me could understand it. And, and I called her school after I read her book and I said, are you teaching? Do you have any graduates or anybody that's teaching elsewhere throughout the country? And as, as luck would have it, there was a woman who was a graduate that was teaching in where I lived in Nashville at the time. And, and I started studying with her and then I went and took formalized classes with her for six years. Wow. And learned all about the human energy field and, and being able to manipulate that and being able to utilize that for healing and other things. And not so much, it wasn't so much technique centered. It was more, here's how energy works. Here's what you can do with it and all that kind of thing. So I, I laugh. I spent more money on that than I did to put myself through four years of college for a bachelor's degree. <laughs> 
How have you, because um, you know you came from such the other side of the brain industries, how did you or have you dealt with anyone saying, what on earth are you doing? Come on. Well, I get that a lot, and that's why I say I'm a businesswoman who learned how to do woo-woo, and I'm a buffet. <laughs> it's like, because let's just hit the humor and the skepticism up front. Because right. people will say, well, I'm really skeptical about this. You need to prove to me that this works. And my response is always, it's appropriate to be skeptical. I'm skeptical as well. And as far as proving anything to you, I don't feel the need to prove it to you. People right. who are interested in this modality, I believe, which is complementary to Western medicine as we know it. Mm-hmm. People who are interested in that, when I talk with them and work with them and they see results, they get it. They understand it. I'm not interested in convincing anybody. If somebody right. wants to utilize my skill sets, great. If they don't, great. It's not for everyone. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the maternity options that new mom, new delivering moms have these days. Some do it in a traditional hospital in a traditional way with an epidural and they're lying in the bed and blah, 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 blah. Others are doing doing it in a birthing center underwater. Right. Others are doing it in the home with a doula, which is kind of full circle back. So I think it's just different options for different people and whatever resonates with a person is what makes sense for them to utilize. Right, exactly. Did you feel like you had a natural talent for this? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm not <laughs> Kristen and I, I tell people I'm not one of those psychics who's had dead people chasing her since childhood. Or if I did, I didn't know it. <laughs> I, think, I think that uh, every all of us have natural psychic and intuitive abilities. We just come in that way. We all have circumstances in our lives where, for instance, we'll think of somebody and all of a sudden we'll run into that person or that person will call seemingly out of the blue and we'll say, oh my gosh, I was just thinking of you the other day and here you are. Well, you know what? That's psychic ability. You know, you're you're foreseeing that you're going to run into them or you're foreseeing you're going to hear from them. Um, Certainly there are many, many stories throughout the, the ages where people have had a premonition on something. Don't get on that plane. Don't go here. Don't do that. And then when they don't follow their premonition or their, I'm making air quotes, their gut feeling on something, mm-hmm. they usually regret it. So we all have the capability. It's just learning to enhance it, which we all have the opportunity to do. I right. like you want to be a doctor, you go to medical school. If you want to be a plumber, you do a plumbing apprenticeship. If you want to be a uh, whatever, air traffic controller, <laughs> you go learn right. how to do that. I just learned how to do this. So it just spoke to you. It did. It was. It piqued my interest. And I thought, my goodness, here I am inventing these devices to try and help people heal and help the caregivers and the providers and the surgeons help people heal in a better, quicker, faster way kind mm-hmm. of a thing. What what if 
there's really something to this and what if I can I and others can help facilitate healing and it can benefit people mm. so that's really where my interest was yeah absolutely so when you're identifying medical issues in someone and and I have a couple of friends that are medical intuitives and they're really focused or they focus on you know things wrong with the body uh, or things below the neck <laughs> and not so much someone's emotional state or brain chemistry that kind of thing so have you been able to utilize this to work with people that are struggling with a mental health issue as an example absolutely yes when I, I turn my abilities on and off at will and it just takes me a nanosecond to turn on my radar as I call it and what I do is I connect with a person's spirit and so I raise my vibrational level to level of spirit because when we're spirits attached to a body having a human experience Experience, our spirits vibrate more slowly simply because the body has mass right so by raising my vibrational level intentionally and that's why I'm talking about when I turn my radar on and off I'm able to connect with people's spirits my spirit connects to their spirit because it's both non-physical if that makes sense mm -hmm. and then what I'll do is is once I'm connected to someone anywhere in the world I, most of the scans that I do, Kristen, are remote. I would say 99.9% .9 of them. And, and then I'll have a hologram of them in my mind's eye. And I'll be able to see things that would be normally seen on an X-ray or a CT scan or an MRI. And things that are above the neck, to your point, would include, uh, I can tell if somebody is depressed, I can tell if somebody is taking any kind of medication, whether that be prescription or non-prescription. I can tell whether somebody's using uh, drugs that maybe are recreational in nature or if they're addicted mm -hmm. to a substance. I can tell that. I can tell um, if there's inflammation. I can tell if there's scar tissue in the brain, which oftentimes is a result of a concussion. Many times people don't even know they've had a concussion. Right. And it it has an effect on mental health, a, yeah. a really serious effect. So I watch healings occur in all of those areas. Not only identify, but also watch healings occur. So if we're talking about, you know, someone who, you know, let's say they know that they're depressed, but they don't know how to get out of that help heal that you know what are what are some things that you would or you know an example of something that you would work with someone like that on to help them because that is such a windy road it's not like a broken yeah. bone where you put a cast on it and you fix it it's this whole other complicated <laughs> journey mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what i would do would be i would scan them medically first and I would look to see what's going on if, if in fact, what we were just talking about, if there is scar tissue in the brain matter. And mm -hmm. scar tissue to me, Kristen, looks like the healed skin of a burn patient. You know, okay. if you've ever seen a burn patient skin where it looks almost like it's a spider web, it's not 
smooth or flat anymore. It has kind of ridges and valleys in it. Um, that's what scar tissue looks like to me in brain matter. And brain matter to me re resembles really thick cooked Irish oatmeal. Mm. And so what I wa what I see in the brain matter is I'll see scar tissue, which is basically representative of old concussions. And concussions, as you know, can result from falling down the stairs when you're a baby, or right. as as a little kid falling off a bike, or without a helmet on, even with a helmet on. Sometimes um, all kinds of concussions happen in sports. Everything from football to soccer, the head butting in soccer, rugby. falling down. Yeah. Yep. You know, rug, rugby, hockey, all those different sports. Volleyball. I see girls with concussions from volleyball. Right. Even. And, and so what I'll watch happen in a healing is I will watch that, that scar tissue get removed. And then I watch stem cell energy come in and fill in the area, the divot, if you will, in that thick oatmeal that's been <laughs> scooped out. The scar tissue's been scooped out. And then stem cell energy will, will come in, and that looks like clear gel with sparkles in it to me. Is that what it really looks like? Who knows? That's how it appears to me, how I know what it is. And then I'll watch that gel with the sparkles in it get centrifuged. And that's the interesting part because it will centrifuge that gel into whatever's needed, whether that be brain matter or bone or heart tissue or whatever. Hmm. And, and when that happens, what I'll see is I'll see the neural pathways in the brain light up. Because when I see scar tissue from old concussions, Kristen, it, it occludes where the neural pathways can travel. And right. sometimes I'll see little tributaries go around the scar tissue, um, and it will remind me of a map where you see a river, and then you can see all the little mm. side rivers and streams and stuff. Um, that, that's what it looks like. But as soon as we get the scar tissue removed, and I watch new brain matter get generated via energetic stem cells, um, I see all those neural pathways light up. Mm. which is really remarkable when I see that. And the neural pathways to me look like, and my visuals are hilarious, I get, but it gives people a reference so they can envision what I'm seeing in my mind's eye. Um, they remind me of those glow-in-the-dark fluorescent tubes that you can turn into a bracelet or a necklace. A lot of times <laughs> you'll see little kids wear them, you know, in mm -hmm. the summertime on the 4th of July. But yep. they're white, but they have a little bit of a blue to them and so I watch them all light up in the head once we get the scar tissue removed and that normally has a profound effect on depression right. the other I thing that I that I check is I check their nutrition levels because oftentimes they're eating food that's not going to be optimal um, if they can avoid the processed foods and the sugars and I tell them eat what God made and avoid what was made in a factory by man. That's right. pretty easy to follow. Right. Um, and then also, also the circumference of a grocery store, not in the middle. <laughs> that's right. And then I also, we also talk about omega threes and D three and, and um, other nutrients and vitamins that can help with the depression as well. 
and just mm -hmm. as an example, since okay. we were talking about depression. Yeah. So how about, um, I know one of the things that's on your, um, your bio is about you communicating with pets or mm -hmm. them, or them communicating with you. <laughs> mm -hmm. How, um, talk to our listeners about what, what that's about. Well, pets have spirits just like humans do. And mm -hmm. so I communicate and spirits communicate telepathically. A lot of people think that spirits are going to just talk to you. And normally spirits, you, it'll come in as a thought. And we all can communicate with spirits and we all do, whether we know it or not. And we can do this with our pets too. And how it's done is you just say something or ask a question in your, in your head, you know, in your mind, or you can say it aloud if you want. And then the first thing that pops back into your head is going to be their response. If it pops in to your head as a thought within a second, that's going to be them communicating with you, their spirit. If you think about it for more than a couple of seconds, that's going to be your brain talking to you. Right. So the other thing to remember is that spirits are really literal. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. So when asking a question or making a comment, it, as concise as one can be with the question, the better the advice they're going to get. I've, so, heard too, I've heard, too, that animals will communicate in pictures. I think that depends on how the person who's communicating with the animal processes information. Ah, gotcha. Okay. So I think that that's um, predicated on who the the animal communicator is. I how I get information is uh, if I'm asking questions, I'll get a thought in my head. If I'm scanning them, for instance, for a medical scanner to see if they're dying, then I'll get pictures in my head. I will be shown what's going on. Similar to what I was just talking about with humans, where it's like I'm looking at an X-ray or a CT scan or an MRI. I have a, a a client who has a bunch of horses, and she had me. She lives in North Carolina, and I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. And she said, "My horse, let's call him Trigger. I don't remember his name. My horse <laughs> is is lame. His leg is lame." And that's all she sent me an email. And she said, "Can you check him and let me know what I need?" So. What came up on my radar in my mind's eye was his back um, right leg looked like it had what, what we would call in humans a meniscal tear. He had a torn meniscus. 
Mm-hmm. And so I emailed, emailed her back and I watched the healing happen and I watched his knee get scoped. I watched an energetic procedure happen. I watched his knee get scoped. They don't call it knee on horses. I forget what it's called on a horse. And so I sent it to her. So long story short, she took him to this really huge vet hospital at a major university. And she walked in and she said, Trigger's got this and you need to scope his knee and fix this torn meniscus. And so the vet looked at her like she was absolutely out of her mind, crazy. (laughs) And and they examined him, and guess what? Exactly what she said was the problem was the problem. They scoped his knee, and he was just fine. Interesting. So it's really fun when people go to their doctor for, for themselves or a loved one, or they go to the vet. And actually, my future daughter in law is in vet school right now and invariably if there's something going on with one of her patients or she's in clinical rotations now or or more often with one of her dogs she'll text me and say can you scan Rooney and he's you know he's got this and this and this going on can you tell me what's going on and I'll tell her and then she knows what to do interesting so yeah it's pretty fun so when we're talking about things like um, a lot of people have questions around or fear around death and um, mm-hmm. there are people that talk about near death experiences and so on. Mm-hmm. I believe that those things are absolutely true, but what are some universal experiences that you see with people that they have, you know, as they are dying? Well, let's let's address near-death experiences first. I agree okay. with you 100%. I believe that they are absolutely accurate as well because there's no way that all of the tens of thousands of stories about people experiencing near-death experiences or NDEs for short, they, they cross all cultures, all religions, all socioeconomic classes. There's no way that people yeah. that are in the jungle you know, right. some remote island in some remote location are going to be able to verbalize in their whatever their native language is the same experience that somebody that's in New York City right. is having, who's highly educated and and you know has all the creature comforts that we know in our modern society. So absolutely, I believe that they exist and people are experiencing them. To answer your question. The second part of your question is everybody goes through what I have coined the 12 phases of transition. And that includes when the spirit separates from the body. Now, the spirit is the power source for the human body, which is why when somebody's spirit leaves their body, their body doesn't work any longer. So when somebody is going through the 12 phases of transition, whether it happens instantly or over days, weeks, or months, what I watch transpire is I see the spirit exit the body back to the NDE experience. Most people will say that they experience a bright light at the end of a tunnel, and that's their spirit that's separating from their body. And then it holds on to the top of the head in a bubble configuration, Kristen. And it reminds me of a cartoon caption bubble mm-hmm. where a cartoon figures thoughts or words are in case and then deceased loved ones spirits are there 
as part of the process and many angels are there as well. And interestingly enough, every pet that a person has had in their lifetime, their deceased spirits are there as well. So well, I call that the welcome to heaven committee. <laughs> They're all there. And so they, they take different configurations. And you can go, anybody can go on my website, anybody that's listening to AskJulieRyan.com, and there's a graphic there that you can see that is going to show you what each of the different 12 phases of transition are. And then I talk about it in length in my book, Angelic Attendance. So, you know, you also talk about past lives, and this is something that interests, you know, has always been interesting to me, people that want to... Um, delve into their past lives. And there are a lot of people that say that they know how to do this and they, you know, are just full of baloney. And then there are people that really do know how to do this. So, but I always wonder, you know, why, why would that be helpful for someone to know about their past lives? Well, I do this a lot with people. And first of all, it's really fun. It's really <laughs> interesting. And we normally the information that we glean from a past life scan, I call it, uh, can be verified with historic documents and and other, just, just really by Googling information, we'll get years and, and different things that had, have transpired throughout the ages and, and people will Google things and I'll Google them sometimes too when I'm interested and, and it'll be fascinating how it correlates. Mm. But, how, how it helps people is we retain information that we've learned in each of our past lives through our experiences in our cellular DNA. And, we're, and it comes with us from lifetime to lifetime. But we're not necessarily cognizant of those memories because our spirits reincarnate in multiple lifetimes to co-create with God is my belief, and also to just have the experience of whatever they choose to experience. Interestingly enough, though, Kristen, small children can access a lot of their past life memory much before the age of about six. Right. That's when our filters start to get put in place. And so it's commonplace for small children to say things to their parents or grandparents or caregivers and say, well, when I was a soldier in the Civil War and we were stationed in Virginia and they talk about all this stuff that went on and and the parent or the adult thinks, Johnny has such a vivid imagination <laughs> until they go to research that Johnny knows who the commander was and what the city was they were stationed in and he can tell them what the date was and things like that, but there's no way they could know. Uh, it's, it's interesting to see what comes up. And then when I do past life scans with people, we'll correlate what happened in a past life that, that becomes available for us to access. And then we'll figure out how it correlates. And if need be, we can remove it. Because sometimes past life experiences can affect us in our current lifetime without us even knowing it. Mm. And so I do past life scans differently from anybody I've ever heard, which no surprise there, I'm an inventor. So of course I'm <laughs> going to do it differently. But 
what I do, Kristen, is I envision myself walking down this endless hallway. That it's very tall ceilings. It's a narrow hallway. Ceilings are maybe 40 feet tall, and it's never ending. And the walls are filled floor to ceiling with 12 inch by 12 inch square mirrors. And each mirror represents a different lifetime. And so we'll say, we'll come up with some kind of question like, show us the past lives that Kristen had in which she loved Labrador, black Labrador retrievers. I'm just making that up. So <laughs> the, the lifetime that correlate with that question that have that have some kind of a connection with that question will come out from the wall as if they're on a hydraulic arm and then I'll say show me the lifetime that correlates the most that one will come out the furthest I'll envision myself walking into that mirror and I'll be shown this scene and I'll be given dates and times and where it was and what you were doing in that lifetime and if you were a man or a woman and mm -hmm. and then I will watch like this little mini movie and I'll describe to you everything I'm seeing. And then we'll say, okay, how does this correlate with Kristen's current lifetime? And all this stuff will come in. I call that divine downloading. <laughs> I'm getting all this information in this past <laughs> lifetime of yours. And it's fascinating. And, and, you know, invariably there'll be, there'll be all these different connections. And if it's something that's, that's de that you perceive to be detrimental or causing some kind of concern that you wish wasn't there, I can remove it. I can remove that little nuance of the memory. And, uh, and, and the stories after those types of scans that people report are just extraordinary of mm -hmm. how their lives have changed. So give, can you give us a, like a couple examples of, of yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one was um, there was a woman who had really bad rheumatoid arthritis, and I, I was, we were doing a past life scan of hers, and I saw this past life of hers that was in during World War II. It was during the well, no, it was after the Depression, right before World War II, and she lived near a railroad track, and she was one of I don't know. 11 or 12 children. And the only way that she got attention was by being sick. And then her mother would, would really pay a lot of attention to her because her mother was crazy busy with all those kids, you can imagine. And, and so she would fix her something special to eat and she would, you know, doctor her, nurse her to be sure that she got well. And I could see that it was right near this railroad track and I could see these clotheslines and everything so anyways long story short what what I said then was how does this correlate with what's going on in her current life and what I got was that she although she wasn't perceiving that she was um, presenting herself as a victim but that she knew that she got extra attention when she had the arthritis and she had never thought of it that way. So we took mm. that past life memory out of her body. She emailed me a couple weeks later. She said, the following day, I walked however many feet to the end of my street to the stop sign and came back. I hadn't been able to do that in probably five years. 
And she said within two weeks, she was in her garden and she was able to stoop over and plant things. And she said she hadn't done it in 10 years and that her, her system was visibly less swollen. The, the, um, her hands that were starting to deform were going back to normal. She said her pain level was reduced by probably 80%. She was able to come off some of her arthritis medication. Her arthritis medication over the years had been so severe that they had her on chemotherapy treatments. Oh my gosh. Trying to, trying to deal with what they were calling autoimmune situations. So, so it was really remarkable. That's just one story that comes to mind out of 25 years of doing it. I've got lots of stories. <laughs> So what was, how long ago did your, did your book come out, The uh, Angelic Attendance? What really happens as we transition from this life into the next? About a year and a half ago, and we have it in paperback and audio and um, digital, and people can get it anywhere. Books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, online, whatever, Audible. Um, it's available in libraries. It's available in university libraries. I was very cognizant of being sure that it was available to people in those, you know, in libraries and also in the university settings as well for free. So it's available a lot of places. And it's, it's different, I believe, Christian, from anything else that certainly I've been able to find that's out there because it talks about what happens as we're dying which is what I find most people are afraid of. Yeah. They're afraid of what's going to happen afterwards because a lot of, because of the near death experience information that's out there about how glorious it is, but they're more afraid about, Oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to suffer? What's going to, how, how does this work? What happens? Right. And so really that's what my book addresses. And it also has several stories in it that are really heartwarming stories about families with whom I've worked and what the nuances were of this 12 phases of transition and how it brought comfort and added a glorious component to the equation when they were going through the heart-wrenching time of losing a loved one. Yeah, yeah, well, I would imagine what you're, you know, what you're able to do is not only work with the person who is dying, but also the family around them, you know, the loved ones that are there as well. Absolutely. I, it's funny because I can, uh, I can communicate telepathically with the person who's dying, even when they're unable to verbally communicate any longer. And the requests I get from people who are dying for their family to do are just a riot. They are so funny <laughs> at times. Um, range from you need to file my quarterly estimated taxes to can you bring me lic- licorice? Can you can you um, you know play a certain type of music? When one little old lady in Georgia wanted her family to go get to sing, and they wanted her, she, she wanted them to go get her missile. And the family said, missile? What is she talking about? And I said, well, it's like a prayer book, you know, that you use in church. And I said, we don't even know where it is. And she said, get my red missile. She told him where it was. It was in the nightstand next to her bed. She told him what side of the bed it was on. And, and they, they got it and they came 
to um, back to where she was in the hospital, and she wanted them to sing Amazing Grace and a couple of other hymns that were in the mm-hmm. missal. And this was a woman who'd had Alzheimer's, who hadn't been able to communicate for over a dozen years, and she sang those. She sang along those hymns with the family within a couple of hours right before she died. And so that, my legs were tingling just even telling you that story. That was a situation where the family just got so much comfort from that because they hadn't been able to communicate with her, but through me or who, if she was talking with someone else who could communicate with her telepathically, she was able to let them know what they could do to help her transition go more smoothly. And during that time, she was able to join them with singing these hymns that meant so much to her. Oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah. Amazing. One, one other thing about these phases of transition, if I may tell another quick story. Sure. Uh, when I was doing research for the book, for my book, I um, the best I could come up with was this, what I see is a prayer that is originated in the fifth century as a Gregorian chant. And it talks about the angels and your loved ones will greet you and lead you into paradise. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is what I see in my mind's eye. So I have to believe that people since the beginning of time have been able to see these phases that I see. And perhaps it was that people were just literate enough, the monks, whoever the monks were that wrote this chant back in the fifth century, that they were literate enough that they could put it on paper and it has survived all of these centuries since that time. But I believe also, Kristen, that as we've gotten more well-educated and more scientifically based, that a lot of the things that we do naturally that are intuitive or psychic, we've let fall by the wayside because we think, well, if we can't prove it, then it doesn't exist. Right. Right. Exactly. That's that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. Well, Julie, I am so glad that Ryan (laughs) introduced you to us. This has been fascinating. It's so interesting that the career that you came from and then transitioned into this and that you were, you know, you're dispelling the myth that, you know, you have to be born with disability or or really be able to really access it because you, you know, you said you didn't, weren't aware of this within yourself, but you were able to learn it. Correct. So that's, that's amazing. Can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you? Sure. AskJulieRyan.com. And everything um, is there. Yeah. And it's L-I-E-R-Y-A-N. Just so you know, Mm -hmm. listeners. And thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. (laughs) And thank you to our listeners for another edition of Mental Health News Radio.
Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Hi, this is Dr. Paul Meyer, founder of the National Chain of Meyer Clinics. I've often told you about how people just like you are getting the healing that they need from emotional issues like depression, anxiety, anger problems, and relational problems. We wanted to share with you Mickey's experience at our day program and how it has affected his life. The Meyer Clinics has been a real blessing to me. Dr. Meyer told me that people get well here and my life has been completely changed. I have been symptom-free for three years, and I'd recommend it to anybody that really wants to overcome an emotional problem of any kind. Mickey's story is like so many others that we receive. It's an encouragement to us, and we hope it will also be an encouragement to you to call us to get the emotional help that you've needed. Please call toll-free 888-7-CLINIC to be connected to the Meyer Clinic program nearest you. That's 1-888-7-CLINIC or go to MeyerClinics.com. That's www.meierclinics.com.